1 Corinthians chapter 9, and tonight reading a few verses at the end of this chapter, verses 24 through 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. If you're there, give me a good Sunday night. Amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul writing, he said, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain. And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beats the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And tonight I want to minister a message entitled, Run in such a way that you may win the prize. Run in such a way that you may win the prize. Let's pray tonight. Father, we just come before you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you, Lord, for your anointing that's here tonight, that was here this morning. And God, I'm just asking for your presence and your anointing to minister and your anointing upon us to receive tonight. I ask you for liberty, the liberty of your Holy Spirit, that you would make your word real to us, that you would encourage us, convict us, challenge us, do what needs to be done in our hearts tonight. We give you all the praise and all the glory. And again, everyone said amen and amen. In this passage that we have read tonight, the Apostle Paul makes reference to the athletes that were participating in the Greek games of his day. He used that, the whole Greek games and the athletes that would participate in the Greek games really as a backdrop, as a setting for what he was teaching the Corinthian church. He was using them pretty much as a teaching illustration of how the child of God today, about how you and I today are to approach our relationship with God. How, how we are to approach and view the calling of God that's on our life and the work of God that's going on on the inside of us and through us. There's a certain mindset and mentality and attitude and really condition of our heart that we've got to have as we approach this race that is set before us. And Paul would use the athletes that participate in those Greek games as really as an illustration of how you and I, our hearts should be, and even more so towards the call of God and our relationship with God. And so he uses that illustration. In this passage, he refers to the race. And I want to summarize some things as we begin this, as I begin this message. He deals, he talks about the race in this passage. Using the Greek games and a runner running the race as an illustration of the race that you and I have spiritually. For us, our race is our relationship with God. Our race is the calling of God that's on our life, that's on your life. Our race is the work of God that's going on on the inside of you and through you. You've got a race tonight that's been set before you. Paul said these words in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 when he said, We are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses. 
Let us lay aside every weight and, and sin that so easily besets us. Running with patience or running with endurance that race that has been set before us. You have a race tonight that you're in. Figuratively speaking, it's not a race of competition with your other brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's not that kind of race. There is competitive jealousy that's in the church today, but that's not the kind of race that you and I are running in. Our race is a spiritual race. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. But we war, our warfare is against demonic spirits, against those things that would come against us. But there's a race that you and I are in tonight. He talked about running that race. Running here in this passage and others, like example, for example, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, running in the race, that running is a type of our own faith that we have in Christ. It's a type of our faith that we have in Jesus, that we have in the word of God, that we have in God's promises that he's given you. You're to run that race tonight. Paul would use that same term, for example, in Galatians chapter five and verse seven, when he would tell the Galatians, you ran well, who hindered you? You were believing well. That's the point. He used the word run to typify believing. Believing in Christ. Believing in the finished work. You ran well. You were believing well. What hindered you? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So running tonight is a type of the faith that you have in Jesus. And you can see it that way tonight, that when you're believing in Jesus, figuratively speaking, you're running that race. Now, I know that may be a little hard illustration for some to understand, to comprehend, because I know some, the running is the last thing you're going to do in the physical. If we sweat, some, some, if they sweat a little bit, I call 911. <laughs> I'm sweating, Nine, is there an emergency? Yes, I'm sweating. So some, that might be a little hard uh, illustration to comprehend, but Paul would use that to describe our faith that we have in Jesus. I'm going to tell you again tonight, there's a race that's been set before you. You're running a race. And so run. Run. Keep on believing. Keep on going. You've got a race that God's put you in figuratively speaking, and so don't stop. Keep on believing. Keep on putting one spiritual foot in front of the other and keep on going. Hallelujah. Don't let anybody stop you from running the race that God set in your life. Don't let anybody stop you. Keep on going. 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 Hallelujah. Paul said that in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Run this race with patience, with endurance. That means don't stop running. Don't stop believing. Keep on going and keep on going. When the devil hits you, keep on going. Hallelujah. When people hit you, keep on going. When your own flesh hits you, keep on going. Hallelujah. When financial 
turmoil hits you, keep on going. When, when the physical affliction hits you, keep on going. Keep on believing. Keep on keeping on. You know, when you keep on keeping on and you have endurance like that, you have a faith that is an enduring faith that won't stop. It's not going to put you on the cover of Sanctification Magazine. You might not get noticed by man when you just keep on going, keep on going, because you're running heartily, you're doing what you're doing heartily as unto the Lord and not unto man. But hear me tonight, when you keep on going and you keep on believing, regardless of what happens, you're on the devil's radar and you're on God's radar. The devil knows what's going on because you're a threat to the devil's kingdom when you keep on believing. And you're on God's radar too because you're, you're one that can, can, that can promote the kingdom of God and God can use. Hallelujah. And he said in verse 24, he said, know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize? He would make that comment here, again, using the Greek games, and I, the Greek games were basically what we would think of as Olympic-type games in Paul's day. They were celebrated and, and conducted in cities like Corinth or Athens and other cities of Greece. And... Paul, when he used this as an illustration, they, they were, the people were, the Corinthians were familiar with these games. And he said that in verse 24, know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. You see, when Paul would write those words, Paul, Paul's point is not that as a child of God, we should just be content with just being in the race. That's not the point that Paul's making. Just be content with being in the race. And as long as you finish, that's the important thing. That's really not the point of what Paul is making in this passage. Just get in the race and finish. If you finish last, it doesn't matter. Now, in a physical race today, and I, I like running, and I, I've been in races before, and, and uh, local races here in Baton Rouge and some other places, and when you run in a, in a race, it could be a 5K race, which is about three miles, or, or even up to a marathon, which is a lot, 20, it's 26 miles. But most people, when they run in those races locally, only a small percentage of the people are really running to win. Everybody else is just there to cross the finish line. They're just happy that they're there. But that's really not the point of what, that's not the point, the illustration that Paul's making in this passage. Just, you know, just be happy that you're in the race. That's not it. You see, there are too many Christians that are just happy that they're in the race. Or I should say it this way, they're just content with being saved. You get saved, you got your ticket to heaven, you're in the race. As long as you get to heaven, that's all that really, as long as I get there, I'll live for myself, I'll, 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 I'll go to church every once in a while, I'll shake the minister's hand. As long as I cross the finish line, 
I'll walk. It don't matter to me. But as long as I cross the finish line, that's all right. But that's not what Paul was pointing out in this passage. See, in the Greek games of that day, they, the way that they arranged those games, everyone really had a, had a, uh, uh, a shot at basically winning the race, a legitimate shot. And Paul was making the point that when you and I, as, our, as we view this race that's been set before us, don't take it in a passive way. Don't take it in a way that you just, you're just happy to be saved and as long as I get to heaven, everything will be, I'm, I'm just fine with that. But hear me tonight, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he didn't die on the cross just only to save you from hell and get you to heaven. That's not the sole reason why he died upon the cross, but he came to give life and life more abundantly. Life and life more abundantly. And then he said at the end of verse 24, he would say, so run that you may obtain. There's one person that will get the prize. There's one person that will get first place. He's really using that person as an illustration of how you and I are to run this race. This race of faith that God set before us. And he would say, you so run, you so believe, you so view your relationship with God in that same way. Run that you may obtain. And the point is this, you could translate it this way. So run in such a way that you will win the prize. You run, you believe, and keep on believing. And you approach your relationship with God in such a way that you'll obtain the price. Again, there are so many believers, and I know tonight I'm, I'm preaching to the Sunday night, those of you that have come out on a Sunday night. <laughs> but you hear me, do you realize tonight that there are so many in the church world today, whether it's Baptist or the Pentecostal side of, it doesn't really matter. There are so many in the church today that they have, they have settled with being average. They've settled on just being content with being in the race. As long as I'm in the race, it's all right. As long as I get to heaven one day, that's all that matters. But between now and then, I'll just, I'll just give a little bit. They may not say those words, but the way they live their life is telling God and telling the world, I'm a Christian and I'm giving a little bit to God. I'm giving a little bit to God. The point that Paul's making here is to know, as a child of God, we shouldn't give just a little bit, but we should give everything. I said we should give everything. So many Christians have settled, those in church have settled on being average. But do you realize tonight that the average Christian, the average Christian today in in the church world, again, whether it's non-Pentecostal or Pentecostal, charismatic, whatever name you put on it, the average Christian is a complacent Christian. I'm not trying to be critical or, or be pessimistic. It's just, it's the sad reality of the church that we live in today. 
The average Christian today is complacent in their walk with God. The average Christian is lazy as it concerns their own relationship with God and the call of God that's on their life. Lazy. Loving the things of the world more than they love the things of God. But Paul would say that. He would actually describe the church that way. In the last days, when he said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5, he said, but know this, in the last days, perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of themselves. Think about the time you and I are living in right now. Men shall be lovers of themselves. That's the predominant characteristic of the church in the last days. They shall be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. That's a description of the, ch- the time you and I are living in right now. But hear me tonight, God has not called you to be average. Do you hear me tonight? I said, God hasn't called you to just be an average Christian. But God has called you through what he did at Calvary because he gave his all. God has called us to be giving our all back to him. Not halfway, but all the way. You see, Jesus with his disciples, he was all the way, all the time. And he demanded nothing less from his disciples. If you love your family, if you love your mother or daughter or or, or your relatives, he would say, if you love them more than you love me, then you're not worthy. If you you put your hands to the plow, but you look back, it's it's, it's just not going to work. He's calling us to give everything, everything. And Paul would use the Greek athlete actually as an example to the church. And it's an interesting illustration because the Greek athlete of that day, it's not like Paul was really, now some take it this way, but it's really not this way. Some take it as if Paul was promoting the Greek games. But he's really not. See, the Greek games of that day, when we think of Greek, or when, when, when we think of the Olympic games, or it's somewhat innocent. They're just compi- uh, competing in different events. But in Paul's day, the Greek games were filled with idolatry, filled with sexual immorality, uh, immorality, filled with cruelty. Most of the events involved running or fighting in some way. And the value of human life was so cheap. And money of the events were basically just blood sport. And here was these athletes who have dedicated their soul to idol gods. Dedicated their soul and dedicated everything to running for the gods. But Paul would use them as an illustration that if they can do that for false gods, what about us? What about us? Who served the true and the living God? 
to give all, to give everything to him. Not to go halfway, but to go all the way. You know, there's an expression that is not so much used today, but I know as young as I am, but it was even used when I was growing up. The expression of being sold out. You ever heard that expression before? So-and-so is sold out. They're sold out to God. I really don't hear that expression so much today. But you know what God has called us to be? He's called us to be sold out. Sold out for Jesus. Every part of our being, not, com- not compartmentalizing God, not putting God in this place and then putting we got our life over here. Not giving Jesus, so I'll give you this part, I'll give you this part of my week and the rest is mine. The Lord is such a privilege that you have me as a part of your family. No. <laughs> but that he has everything in our heart and we give him all. And again, Paul would use the athletes in those Greek games just as an example. If they do it for a corruptible crown, then how much more should you and I run this race of faith that has been set before us for that incorruptible crown? Because they're running for a crown that will fade away but you and I are running for a crown that will never, ever, 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 ever fade away. Yes. Hallelujah. So many times we can take our relationship with God lightly. And in the verse, in verse 25, Paul would say, and every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Again, now every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. That athlete, that runner, that fighter, that he said he's striving for the mastery. In other words, he's training and doing his all to master his own body, to master his own mind, to master his particular event so he can win that prize. But he strives for the mastery. Again, Paul is using that as an example for you and I about how you and I should approach the call of God on our life. And he said that they are temperate in all things. He's temperate, that athlete is temperate, he said, in all things. Now, I know temperate today is not, a, it's not a common English word, at least in our time, but a common English word that we might understand in our time is the word disciplined. That athlete, that athlete is disciplined. I know discipline can, it can seem, it's a word that can rub our own flesh the wrong way. Discipline. Stop saying that word, discipline. Discipline, diligence, taking our relationship with God, the calling of God that's on our life, taking it with an, you're viewing it with an urgency and with a seriousness rather than a, rather than a passive approach. 
And there's sometimes the excuse that's given in our own minds that may never come out of our mouth, but in our own minds. And I know this because I've done this myself many times. Well, God understands. God knows I'm only human. God knows I can't give everything to him. I'd be too, that would be, that would make me a radical Christian. That would make me super spiritual. And you can't be super spiritual because, you know, we've all heard the expression that you don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And so I don't want to be too heavenly minded because, you know, I want to be earth, I want to be, you know, good you. I want to be good on this earth. But you know what? Most of the time, we're so, heaven, we're so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good. And tonight, my message tonight, again, I'm preaching, to the, I'm preaching to some good people tonight. And I view you that way. You're the Sunday night crowd. And so when I preach tonight, I'm preaching to you, but I'm preaching to those who are watching. And so my message tonight is not to discourage or put anything on, a burden on you. That's not the point. It's to encourage you, though. It's to challenge you. I'm challenging. The Lord's challenging me. Are we giving our all? to him? Are you giving your all to him? Or are you holding something back? Do you have some reservations in your life? Are you giving God some excuses? Well, God, you sometimes will use God's love as an, as an excuse why we don't give him everything. God, you love me, and so I'll only go halfway. I'll only go part of the way. But again, God tonight has not called you to be average. He's not called us to be average, but in reality, he's called us to be on fire for him. I know that term, on fire for God, is a term actually that Paul used in Romans chapter 12 and verse 11 when he would say, don't be slothful in business, but be fervent in spirit, Romans 12, 11. Don't be slothful or don't be lazy in what you do, but be fervent, he would say, in spirit, serving the Lord. And that word fervent me has the idea of it, of being fiery hot. Some translations even say, be on fire in the spirit. On fire, have a zeal. For the Lord in which the fire of the Holy Spirit has consumed your very being. Mm. You know, growing up in the church, I've seen, I've seen a lot of things. The good, bad, and the ugly. One of the things I saw growing up is when a person would get saved and they would have that fresh zeal for the Lord. I remember this happening several times when I was just a, when I was growing up in various different church circles, a person would get freshly saved. They would have that zeal for the Lord. Praise God. Look what God's done in my life. Or a person just get baptized with the Holy Spirit and they, they're fresh and they have that zeal that's there. Or just a person who has, who is really just on fire for God. They, get, they have that zeal for the Lord. And I'm not talking about some fakey thing but I'm talking about it's real. I would hear sometimes 
Some Christians actually say to those people, I would hear, I would see it. Oh, you'll calm down. Oh, you'll be like us one day. You'll, you'll settle down. You won't be so excited. You'll calm down. That fire will go out, and you'll be just like us. And just growing up and seeing that, I just, the Lord gave me enough top spiritual common sense to realize, and I said it in my spirit, I said it, Lord, I don't want to be like that. You know, tonight we got too many prunes in the church. I said, we got too many prunes in the church. Spiritually dried up raisins. If they ever gave a good shout of the Lord, their face would fall off. If they ever clapped their hands before God, their hands would fall off. The spiritual dried up prunes and raisins, just dried up. You know, in the, in the natural Dried fruit might be all right, but not so in the spiritual. Dried, dried up spiritual fruit don't, does not glorify the Lord. And today in the church, we got too many prunes. Just the very life is sucked out of them. They're just taking up space. They've been saved for years and nobody knows it. God hasn't called us to just take up space, to just be average. He called us to have a zeal on the inside that consumes us. It's not you being like me or being like you, but it's you being you on fire with the power of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter two, when Jesus drove out the money changers out of the, out of the temple at the very beginning of his ministry, the disciples said, and John would write this later on, that they would remember, they would, they would, when they remembered that event about Jesus driving out those money changers, John remembered Psalm 69, verse 9, which says, The zeal of thine house has eaten me up. The zeal, and that speaks of the zeal of the Holy Spirit on the inside, has consumed me. If that was the case for Jesus, it is also the case he desires the same thing for you and for I. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't go, half, he didn't go with a half-heartedness to Calvary. But when Jesus went to the cross, he gave his all. I said he gave his all at the cross. Hallelujah. And tonight, the Lord, he loves us so much, but because he loves us so much, he has so much for us. And he says, I want you to give everything. Give it all. Give all of your life to me. Not just part of it, but give it all to me. You see, that, when he used that word temperate in verse 25, that word temperate means discipline. But that word temperate is really a description of the condition of our heart. It's a description of our own heart. It's a description of our faith. I said, it's a, description, it's a description of our faith, of the faith that you have in Jesus. Jesus himself, he would refer at times to little faith. A believer can have little faith, or he used the expression great faith. Paul used the expression uh, weak faith. 
He also used the expression of strong faith. You see, our faith that we have in Jesus, it's not like you put your faith in the cross and all of a sudden, boom, just like that, you become super Christian. And you're Smith Wigglesworth raising the dead. That ain't it. But you know what? There is discipline that's involved in it. And actually the faith that God has put in your own heart is the faith that God desires be disciplined. You mean faith be disciplined? You see in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse one that I read it earlier when Paul said, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. He said, let us run this race that is set before us with patience. But he would say this, lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets you. Talking about that race of faith. Lay aside every weight. And again, he was alluding to the Greek games and those runners. And in reality, in that day, they would, they would lay aside every weight imaginable to the point that they had nothing on at all. But they would lay aside that weight so they could do their best. They laid aside the weight, and Paul would say, lay aside every weight. When he used that term, he was talking about the things that can be in our life today that are not necessarily sin. The weights in our life are not necessarily the gross sins that we can think of, but the weights can be good things. They can be, they can be the good things. The things that are, ne- are not necessarily evil and they're not good either, they're just what sometimes are called amoral issues. They can be good things, but good things can be a weight in your life if those things take preeminence over your relationship with God. I said those things can be a weight in your life if you allow them to take preeminence over your relationship with God. Weights. And Paul would say, lay aside. And you know what that requires? It requires a faith that is disciplined. You know, sometimes, not to make a law out of this, but sometimes you do need to shut the television off. Sometimes you do need to shut your cell phone off. Facebook is not life. I said Facebook is not eternal life. It's not life and life more abundantly. You can live life without it for a while. But you know what you need in that? You know what you're gonna need in that? You're gonna need some discipline, a faith that is disciplined. Well, I'm not gonna do it until I feel the Holy Ghost move on me. Some of you are waiting for the power of the Holy Ghost to move on you before you come over and answer phones. And you're waiting for Acts 2 to happen. But Acts 2 ain't gonna happen most likely. Because most of the time in our life, God doesn't move that way. But this is how God moves. He put a faith in your heart to believe him. But that faith needs to be temperate. It needs to be disciplined. So that when you get the call, you say, you know what, Lord? I know that's you, and I will go. I will obey you. 
You're not going to have the Holy Spirit start moving on you and force your body to move. Well, God's wanting me to go do that and do this. Look at how I'm a robot of the Holy Ghost. No, he ain't going to do that. You know what it's like, how the Lord moves in our life? It's very much how the Lord moves when we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. When you and I are baptized or any believer is baptized with the Holy Spirit, he will do that work. He will give you that unction on the inside in your spirit, but he will not move your mouth. It's you that moves your mouth. It's you. You are speaking that, you are carrying out that unction that God has put on the inside. You see, when God does the work in our heart, it's the same exact way. God's doing something on the inside, but he's not gonna move your physical body. That takes a disciplined faith. It takes a disciplined faith to say, you know what? I need to spend some time with the Lord. I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna stop making excuses for not spending time with the Lord. It takes a disciplined faith to say, you know what? I need to get alone with God and spend some time with him. He is more important than the other things I'm going through. You see, in our life, we all have cares that are in this world. All of us have care. We have jobs. We have things that we do. Many, many have families. We have those things that we have to do, and rightfully so. But when those things choke out our relationship with God and become more important than our own relationship with God and the calling of God that's on our life, and it becomes a weight, and it, become, it can become a sin that so easily besets us. I'll never forget it years ago, before I got married, Sharon and I got married, we've been married for about 14 years now, and before I was married, I was able, I was single, and I was able, at that time, I felt like I was able to spend a lot of time in the Lord and, and prayer time and, and uh, but when I got married, when Sharon and I got married, as you married folk know, that, that, that consumes a lot of your life, right? <laughs> and rightfully so. <laughs> and, I, and I began to sense that time with the Lord not being so much. And tonight I'm not talking about not making a law out of time. That's between you and the Lord. But Jesus didn't say, if you pray, he said, when you pray. Using this as an example. I remember I, I, that, that time the Lord was, was fading like it was compared to what it was before. And then we had Samuel. <laughs> and Samuel, he, when he was uh, from an infant through one years old, he would not sleep at night. Very little and Sharon would say, it's your turn to get up. And me being an obedient husband would get up and walk Samuel. And he had allergies really bad and his ears would hurt. And he would just, and would take hours in the night rocking him. Would you please go to sleep? Please. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Hello? All right, please, 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 Lord, touch this. Heal him right now. Right now, Lord, heal him. Because I'm going insane. I'd rock him to sleep. And 
I tell you what, and I would get up in the morning after like an hour of sleep <laughs> and say, you know what? If I, if I start praying, I'm going to fall out, and it ain't going to be the Holy Spirit. And I have to get up, and I'd have to teach, and have to prepare. At that time, I, w- I would spend probably three hours of preparing for one class at that time. And I said, Lord, what? I, Lord, I, I need your help. Lord, I feel like my relationship with God is just shriveling up, drying up. I'm not able to spend the time with you like I used to. God, something's bad wrong here. God, help me. And God spoke to me one day, just these simple words, and he said, I'm giving you grace, and I will give you grace to get through this. You know what I felt in my spirit? I felt that's exactly what God was doing. He was giving me grace to go through it. But you know what, our, what I found over time? I, I found that, you know, at over, after a while, after understanding the message of the cross, this, several years after that, and after understanding the message of the cross, like one time I went through a season, a very dry season in the Lord. And then one day in prayer, I just said, Lord, what, what's going on? I don't understand why I'm dry. I'm preaching, teaching the message of the cross. It doesn't make sense. And the Lord spoke this to me. I'll never forget it. He said, you were using my grace as an excuse not to seek my face. You're using it as an excuse. And sometimes we can use things, even the, God, the, things that, the good things that God's given us, as an excuse not to give him our all. Tonight, God, through this message, I feel this just burning in my spirit. It's just telling us tonight, I just want you to give everything to me. Don't hold anything back. You know, there are scriptures in the Bible that we all know. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Anybody know that? Proverbs 3. It's a good memory verse. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with half of your heart. Oh, I'm sorry. That's the, that's the complacent version. But he said, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And in all thy ways, or lean, and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. But he used those words, trust in him with all of your heart. All of your heart. I ask you tonight, what's the condition? What's the condition of your heart? What's the condition of your faith? Do you have a tad bit of laziness there? I'm not saying that to condemn, and that's not the point. It's the challenge, it's the question to examine ourselves. Is there a tad bit of laziness, complacency, apatheticness, passivity as it concerns our relationship with the Lord? Or are you giving him every, are you giving him your all? Are you giving him your all? Can you stand to your feet tonight? In James chapter 4, In James chapter four and verse five, James would say this. He said, the spirit that dwells within us yearns jealously. The spirit that dwells within us yearns 
jealously. The Holy Spirit is jealous for us tonight. He's jealous for your time. He's jealous for your attention. He's jealous for everything that's within you. He's jealous for you because he loves you so much. Will you, how will you respond to that jealousy? Will you say, well, Lord, you know I'm human. You know, my, you know where I'm at, Lord, and you know I can't do all. You know I can't give you everything. Is that, are you, would you make excuses? Or would your heart be, Lord, here I am. Just take me. Take everything. And Lord, when I hear the call, when I hear the call of your spirit, I will obey a trust in you. Well, let my faith be strong. Let my faith be disciplined. Let my faith be strong, Lord. Is that your heart tonight? Father, tonight we just come before you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus, when you died upon the cross, you gave everything for us. You gave everything. And I pray that tonight, that Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would consume our very being. Consume us, oh Lord. Let our faith tonight be strong. Let our faith tonight be disciplined. Because Lord, we are, there's not a corruptible crown that we will one day receive or even receiving now, but it's an incorruptible crown. It's your victory, Jesus, that you purchased for us at Calvary. Lord, help us tonight be diligent, be disciplined in our faith. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.